Welcome back to episode two of our All Things 4-H Camp episode. Travis Taylor from Colorado had to bounce out, but remaining in the conversation include NAE 4-H YDP president Craig Preeser, Kim Fry from Wyoming, Tiana Garcia from Colorado, and Alan Taggart from Oregon. Enjoy part two of all things 4-H camp. So what are some of the challenges um, that you all have had in recent years um, with your camping programs? There's always challenges. You know, one that um, Goshen County 4-H camp in Wyoming has not had. One, we were not COVID shut down. So not a challenge. COVID what? Two, we haven't had homesickness in like eight years, nine years, I think. I was counting this the other day. The last young person that had homesickness at my 4-H camp is now the intern. So she's a sophomore in college. So that's how long it's been since I've had homesickness. And I was just razzing her about that last week. Is that she's not going to like upset my angles or my statistics on this topic. So, Megan, is this going to be where you show us now all your waves? I'm here to tell you everything I know. I know I inherited from West Virginia. I know it. I know it. It came via Ohio who stole it from is, West Virginia. And that is why the West is the best. West That's Virginia. Right. West so. Virginia is best Virginia. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we have worked hard over the years to camping is what we do. Um, when when we go to national conferences, we are always sitting all with uh, with folks when they talk about all the competitions and the judging and the uh, uh, and sewing camps and and sewing clubs and things. We do camp and we do that really really well, and we're jealous of. So we're we're jealous of the, those programs that uh, that offer those other things as well. Uh, we're we're working on those. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think one of the challenges we've found, other than funding, just the cost of everything has doubled <laughs> in the last five years. Um, one of the things that, that I'm particularly working on uh, is um, we're doing a review of all the songs that we sing at West Virginia 4-H camp. Um, and we're looking at every, looking at them through a, a DEI lens, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um and um, we're having to make some tough decisions about some things we sing at camp. Um, and um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm probably one of the least liked people in West Virginia 4-H right now because people know that oh, Greg's going to come and take these songs away from us. Um, and, and that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to take songs away. We're just trying to look and make sure that all of the songs we sing, and we've identified somewhere in the neighborhood of 280 different songs uh, that could potentially be sung that that would be familiar enough for us to sing. Uh, and that includes some old favorites, but uh, there are songs that have, uh, have a little bit more of a, um, have sketchy backgrounds, uh, have come through from minstrel shows. And, and we might not think of them as being particularly inappropriate or particularly offensive, uh, but they, but they're, there are communities in 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 the country, and there are communities in our world, and, and amongst our 4 H'ers, 
who do find those songs uh, offensive or uncomfortable. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're just in the early process. As a matter of fact, when I get off this phone call, uh, off this Zoom call, we have another committee meeting about that tonight uh, where we're going to recommend our first nine removals, <laughs> removals from the catalog. Um, and just songs that we, we know we shouldn't be singing. Uh, we don't think we should be singing anymore because uh, because they're overtly problematic or um, just have a problematic past that uh, people may remember and be uncomfortable singing. So uh, that's been a, that's that's our hot that's our hot topic this year. That's that's been a challenge for us is making sure that we're welcoming. We truly are welcoming and comfortable and inviting to everyone. Um and that's not always easy and that's not always comfortable. <laughs> so, Yeah, that sounds familiar. We had a similar complaint this last year and had to remove the Pink Pajamas song, if you all know that one. And Silk, then also Silk Pajamas, a, Kim. Silk Pajamas, Kim. No, we call it Pink Pajamas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Kim, that didn't even make our top ten. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah we yeah. picked that one down the road a little bit to deal with down the road yeah. later, but. Yeah. Yep. And so. then we also have a long, 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 long standing prank of stealing underwear. And this last year, I had to tell the counselors, like, we can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. This is yeah. something that we just can't do. It makes you all uncomfortable. It makes the adults uncomfortable. It makes the kids uncomfortable. We've yeah. got to stop it. And I had adults upset about it, but it's like, let's be realistic here and, and think about, is this the proper thing to have happening or not? Yeah, well, Kim, uh, that brings up a good point. We're discovering that it's not the kids so much that are upset about about not being able to sing those songs. Frankly, the kids are young enough. If we just don't lead them, they'll forget about them, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's the parents and the volunteers and the adults that have gone through the program. And um, um, and I, I'll be very honest. There are songs I would never have dreamed. I've been working on the railroad. Uh, has a racist past, uh, Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah strumming on the old banjo. Um, we learned that the word, the name Dinah uh, was just a stock name for uh, black women who worked in the in the kitchen. Uh, so you wouldn't change it. Dinah is to black women as Sambo was to black men. And you wouldn't say Sambo, someone's in the kitchen with Sambo. So we shouldn't be singing someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. And I will tell you that uh, I was horrified to learn that. That's a song that my dad sang to me every night at bedtime. It's a song we sang all the time to my kids at bedtime. But now that I know, it wasn't done with any intent, harmful intent. But now that I know, and now that we're aware, we need to make that change. And that's that's the position we're coming from. Um, just because it, it it isn't problematic for us doesn't mean... We should be singing it, and and does and just because we were singing, it doesn't make us bad people, and doesn't make us uh, overtly racist or bigoted or whatever, uh, or misogynistic in some other songs cases. Uh, but it has that history, and now that we know, we need to make better decisions about what we're singing. So, when you know uh, better, do better. That's what Maya yeah, Angelou exactly. said. It, uh, that's I learned that from Ohio. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think you did. Yeah, I think it was, I remember that when Ohio went through a similar process and it was, um, 
Yeah. It was painful it's, it's, for them. It was painful. It's, it's very painful because there are some songs that are very near and dear to us that we're having to really take a long, hard look at. And uh, it's been it's been interesting because I'm learning the history of the songs, but sometimes the history you learn is not always just <laughs> the history you want to see. So. Well, gosh, I hope Princess Pat is safe because my kids wouldn't know what to do without Princess Pat. That one, that one seems to be just fine. What about Baby Shark? Please find something wrong with that, Craig. <laughs> then there are those songs that, yes, we want to find reasons not to sing. Uh, we we looked long and hard at, at Baby Shark, and we just can't do it. <laughs> so that doesn't mean we need to sing it. We have to sing it. It's just yeah. So that's such a good conversation to have, like, because that's um, I I've actually. In, here in Oregon, like that's something that um, a lot of people have seen that we need to update our songbook. So maybe whatever Ohio has done, what West Virginia is now doing, perhaps that's a bigger nationwide thing of, hey, this is what we found because. Um, yeah, we're, we're discovering that we're going to have lots of opportunities to share at workshops. It's It's been a big process and other states have heard that we're doing this. And have called us and said, "Let us know what you come up with and how how you do it." Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be talking about this at, at national meetings and at ACA at American Camp Association conferences and things like that. We're using Jackie Breaker, who is a big part of the American Camp Association, but she's uh, she's written num- a number of books on leading group songs, and she's helping us through this process. So. Um, You'll see articles about it in American Camp Association magazine and stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a tough project, but it's absolutely worth doing, and it's time to do it. Yeah, yeah. especially when you're well, so steeped in it, also too. Like West Virginia 4-H and West Virginia 4-H Camp have been doing it forever, literally forever. Whereas I think I get. Um, I feel as though Megan and Goshen County gets a little bit of latitude because we have, we've only been doing it for as long as Megan's been here. So, and nine times out of 10, when we don't sing a song, it's because I've forgotten the words or I, and that's what the kids assume. So even if it's a song that is, as you had mentioned, maybe not a song we need to be singing these days, the kids don't even know. They just go, Megan just forgot all the words and we move on and it's fine. I think that's a a good reminder to, to when you're doing camps, and I think about this about our state camps, you know, it's okay to kind of overview everything and see what do we need to freshen up or what are things that we need to change because of whatever reason. Um, and I mean, I think the songs and looking at them as far as DEI is a good thing, but it's also a reminder of, you know, hey, if we want to keep this camp sustainable and get kids to continue to coming what are other things that we need to look at and change and freshen up you know make new and and kind of go from there and I think sometimes we forget just because we're in the mindset of we're planning camp we got to get these things done you kind of forget to look at hey what could we do to maybe make things a little more exciting for these kids too So one longstanding rule that we just um, finally addressed in Colorado, and I'm betting this was probably a rule when you were a state officer too, um, Tiana, but it was that if you were asked to dance, that you could not say no the first time. 
And so that, um, that one was kind of called into question in the last few years. And so it's not a rule anymore, but it had been a rule for the state officers when they were kids going to camp. And so it was a little bit hard for them to like, remember that they couldn't like, they couldn't tell the kids, Oh, there's this rule for the dance tonight. Um, so it, it took a little, little bit of transition time there, but Yes, that was that was a rule. And I, I should have paid a little better attention this weekend at Youth Fest. And I haven't. Another rule that I think probably needs reassessed. And at least when I was a state officer, um, we always just explained that that boys are blue, girls are pink, no purple, which I mean, you know, I, I think in the sense of you don't need to be doing extracurricular activities at a 4-H camp is a rule that should be in place. But to be describing it as that, that is something that also needs to be be reassessed as far as how do we explain those things um, and, and just being mindful of everyone, you know? But I think there are a lot of those things that we just, like you said, that's how it was when I went to camp. And then when I was a state officer, that's just what you did is you said, hey, this these are the rules and here they are. Um, but just making those changes so everyone is, you know, feeling comfortable and, and included at camp is important. And I think that's a, a good thing that Craig brought up as things that we should all kind of kind of remember. And I know that kind of kind of goes into one of the challenges we talked about um, as far as our Project Runway Camp goes. Um, you know, we advertise that it's for everybody ages 8 to 18. And I think the Project Runway if kids have ever watched the show Project Runway, they know that it's open, you know, anybody can be kind of a designer and anyone can be into fashion. We haven't had any um, boys sign up. All of our, our attendees for the past two years have, have been young ladies. But we were talking this year when we went to this thrift store, the boys would have so much fun going to a thrift store and just picking out, you know, an outfit. And I think they would be the ones that would step outside of their comfort zone and try something funny or funky but just a challenge that we kind of need to work on is getting those boys to understand hey this is not just for girls it's not just about you know going and shopping for a dress or or picking something out to model at the fashion review this is for everybody um you know come learn about shopping and finding your personal style because i think that's that's something that um you know, young men struggle with too is is finding their personal style and being comfortable with who they are. So that's kind of, you know, what that camp is about, but just finding a way to advertise and, and get those um, those boys to come as well, because that, that's the focus of the camp, not just necessarily modeling and, and playing dress up. And I think that's kind of one area that we need to, to work on. So that's a, a challenge that we've seen at that camp aside from other logistical or funding challenges as well. So if you have ideas of how do we encourage boys to go shopping, please send them our way. I'll jump in and say a thing that is in, in my experience with camp and, and I feel like we've been a, a good job doing our best, but non-binary and transgender youth, you know, when we have a parent signing their kid up as one gender, and then they appear, the youth themselves appear at camp and say, nope, this is my name and this is my gender. And making sure that we are doing the best practices to one, 
help that youth feel like they are welcomed and can fully have the camp experience and have a it's a positive camp experience and make sure secondly that our counselors are trained on how to make sure that they are welcomed as well um something that an uh, organ 4-h that we recently are that we're actually unique because outdoor school is a huge thing in Oregon as well where fifth sixth graders go for have an outdoor education experience through their school district um is what are called non-gendered cabins to have not just um just another place um and it's not that every camp facility can do that and that's one solution that's currently being explored and making sure that it is for youth who are non-binary or transgender but we at the end of the day camp is for every kid and um funding fi files into that too of like we want to make sure every kid can have an opportunity to go camping have an overnight camp experience if they want to if the family wants them to but um that's something i think is a continual conversation and i personally want my camp counselors to be equipped to be able to help all youth in those situations because it's something that um that exists and we those kids are out there they need to have that experience as well something that i have found very very cool is um in one of our counties boulder county here um in colorado um a lot of our, I mean, we, we've been working towards, you know, um, better inclusivity for a long time, but um, they had a, um, he's actually a state officer, but now, but he stepped up and was like, you know, there's some wording in like our bylaws and things that we don't even think about that isn't very inclusive. And he was like, as a kid, the driving force behind and things happened <laughs> like once he brought that up as a 4-H member, um, it things happened. So um, I think it's really important for those kids to be equipped um, because I think they can really be um, some of the most impactful force behind um, making our events and everything more inclusive. And I would add on to that too that there are, we've mentioned some really fantastic resources that uh, already exist within our extension partnerships. And one of those is the American Camp Association. And I think um, they have a conference every year, every other year. And also coming up in April, the PYD Virtual Academy is on camp experiences. And that's at the end of April. So what a great opportunity to explore more of these topics and more of these conversations from the comfort of your own home or sofa or office chair. And those are some really, really in-depth and impactful conversations that are available to everyone, even if you're not in the West. Anyone can do those. So thinking, um, we'll just segue into our last conversation, into our last question there um, with impact. So what is some of, um, what are some of the benefits and um, impacts that you your program has has seen, whether it's counselors or participants, you. <laughs> so here at our county, AMP, one thing that I've noticed over the past couple years is just a different set of teams, and in an amazing way. So I talked about the prank and having to switch the prank up, and now as that camp counselor group, they're talking about what pranks can we do 
that's for the younger kids and ways that they are being more impactful to the younger kids. Whereas before, when I first started, it was let's chase people around with a mouse we caught in the lodge, you know, so just their framework, which was hilarious and scary for me. Um, But just the impact of these teens and how their brains have switched in the camping mode and their development just as a whole has just been amazingly impactful the past couple of years. And I think COVID and our style of changing things has all been a result because of that. I think it's, whoops, I muted myself, sorry. I think it's um, transformational all the way around. I appreciate now when I started um, here, it was a very different camp program um, than what I've built it. And I built it in partnership with our teen leaders, which I think is something I'm pretty proud of is I had a vision of what my four, and this is selfish of me. Here's what my 4-H camp experience looked like. And I loved it. And so let's um, take some elements of that and, and mold it here into um, Goshen County in the West. And the kids took to it. Uh, really well, the teenagers at the time who are now all volunteers now, so that's great. And they all come back to camp, which is even cooler, is that we've made that impact, is that um, one day, by golly, I'm going to get this camp to self-sustain like West Virginia on the backs of volunteers. I don't know. I love it too much, though, so I don't know that they'd get rid of me completely. But they um, made the changes. The teenagers at the time made the changes, made the decisions, and now we get into the habit of having conversations about are we doing this because it's tradition or is it because we're lazy and we don't want to change it? Um, we can't think of anything more creative and clever. And finally being in a space where that's a conversation rather than push, kind of pushing like to think outside the box. Now we have to think outside the box again over what we're stuck on. Um, so those are, it's transformational for the teenagers. It's transformational for the young people that get to come and play with us for the a time. Um, and the bonds between the younger kids and the older kids, I love to watch those. I love to bond myself selfishly with those older kids too and those younger kids as well. And I think it's just transformational for everybody. It feels as though because we are steeped in, heavy competition and heavy, heavy, heavy contesting. It's nice to see those kids get together and that's not even a care on their radar. They're not even thinking about the show ring. They're not thinking about judging. They're so not even thinking about that. And it's the one place where we just get to play and learn together. Um, Yeah. The best part of any summer. So that's something I forgot to mention. Yes, Megan, absolutely. I had a parent mentioned to me just this last year and I've been running our camp for a long time and she she said by sending her kid to camp the first year he then knew people in the 4-H program for the rest of the year and it just helped him to make those connections and feel more like a 4-H member for the rest of the year and so just (coughs) just some little things like that as a result from camp are just amazing to the whole program of 4-H. I will say, uh, Kim, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that a little bit. Uh, with our with our state camps, it's not uh, it, it, we we bring in kids from all 
all across the state. We generally, out of the 55 counties, we'll generally have 45 of those counties represented at each one of those weeks. At some point during the summer, every county is represented in one of those three weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, it, the, the saying goes in with West Virginia 4-H, you can, if you go to state camps and you, and you, and you take advantage of meeting everybody and, and sharing with everybody. You can break down anywhere in the state of West Virginia and you got somebody who will come help you help pull you out of a ditch. Um, uh, we sent my son off to uh, Northern Indiana, Western. Uh, he's, he, he went to Valparaiso university right outside Chicago and uh, which is, you know, nine hours away. And he's got a, a mommy that uh, doesn't necessarily, uh, cherish the fact that they relish the fact that her son is going living nine hours away. And she was actually able to sit down on a, on a map and chart out um, a path all the way to Western Illinois. <laughs> there was never, there was always somebody within 20 minutes of where, if he was driving out there and broke down in, Western Ohio, we knew that there was someone that we remembered from 4-H camp over the years uh, that we could call and say, hey, Charlie needs help. <laughs> uh, and that's a, that's a really neat feeling. Um, so there are those connections made. And, and um, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's always a, a big success in my book, I think. So I think for us, um, just to touch on what's already been said with our smaller camps, you know, they are making those connections. Um, and in our area, our district, we do a lot of things together um, just because with the amount of kids we have and, and sharing those responsibilities across the area agents, it's easier to do things um, kind of as a district rather than just within our county. But by going to cookie camp or to Project Runway, especially those kids that are going, you know, kind of at that eight, nine-year-old age they've already met friends that then they're carrying on through all the other district activities. So they want to do those activities because, Oh, we know so-and-so from the other County. Um, just like uh, one of my kids, when we were talking about signing up for our district retreat, the first question out of her mouth is, well, is my friend from Eads going to be there? And I'm like, yes, she will be. Um, so then they're, they're more apt to sign up and do other things and other activities because they've already, already met those kids. And we kind of talked about it, but just, getting that overnight experience out of the way so then they're not scared to go to other bigger camps or activities because we've we've been away from home we've done a 4-h trip it's awesome so we're we're hooked um i think that's that's been a good impact and then aside from kind of the the camp impact um project runway is a little more project specific focused cookie camp we never really talk about you know, these are projects you can do in 4-H. We just go do our our thing. Um, but they've been exposed to those things that they can pursue in other other ways through 4-H, whether it be a project or a competition. And they're also life skills that they're carrying outside of 4-H, um, you know, as far as like cooking, kitchen safety. They, they feel safe doing those things at home. Um, our Project Runway, we've seen a lot of the um, participants, they feel more confident in themselves, especially the the age group that we have come that's that middle school age range where they're already feeling so many different things and they, they don't really have a lot of confidence in themselves, kind of helps them 
get their feet under them a little bit and, and gain that confidence. So I think there's just a variety of, of impacts. And like, like Megan talked about that transformation, things that stick with them through life that they're not even really realizing they're gaining those life skills at the time. So I like that what you said, Tiana, it reminded me of, um, I had taken some kids to on some national judging trips and some traveling judging team stuff. And it was interesting to me, the difference of the kids. So uh, of the four that were on the trip with me, three had gone to 4-H camp and one had not. And it was real obvious that there was some things missing in her development as a result of not participating in, in those experiences. So she didn't know how to be a roommate. She didn't know how to clean up after herself. She didn't know how to budget her time getting ready in the morning she didn't know how to budget her time getting ready at night. She didn't. Um, some of those things that we think about abstractly, um, she was not with us on those things. And the others sure were. And they knew that mealtime is mealtime. And when we say we're leaving at this time, we'd better be there a little ahead of time. And it was um, interesting because I, none of the kids could put their finger on what the deal was. They just knew that this person was constantly late and missing and missing the boat and missing the memos. So I just thought that was a really excellent point you brought up is we're teaching them and they don't even know that we're teaching them how to be resourceful, how to be responsible. It's the perfect lab for that, as Alan would say. Yes, and I think reflecting on my experience as a 4-H member and a state officer and having done those things the things that 4-H teaches you that you don't like like I said you don't even realize you're really learning them until you're out in the real world on your own not at a 4-H thing and you're like if it if it weren't for 4-H 4-H camps all those experiences you would not have that experience and I think sometimes uh camps aside I mean it, it ties to camp as well, but people, you know, often ask like, well, what's the benefit of being in 4-H over something else? Come look at 4-Hers versus kids that aren't in 4-H and you'll quickly see the benefit of letting your kid be in the program. That is a beautiful point. We rent our facility here in, um, where we go to 4-H camp. And so the other weeks of the summer, it's a Christian-based um, residential camp so they have cabins they have the whole bit and their own staff and their own staff are permitted to leave when 4-H camp comes in and most of their staff likes to stick around with 4-H because we tend to not have the the discipline problems we tend to not have some of the other problems and issues that they have throughout the rest of the summer because 4-H members 4-Hers are just built different Good point. Any last words? Yeah, just I would agree with everything that has been said. I think that 4-H camp or just any outdoor education experience has the ability to draw out a whole new experience for kids where they are removed from their regular school or home environment. They can try on new uh, not a new personality but they can try out new things that they have otherwise never touched a bow and arrow or a canoe or did a bead craft or do, done weather craft or took a hike in the woods and they had to feel a bark on a tree and they had to like 
the animal scat on the ground, you know, like those types of um, fully immersive, engaging all the senses at one time. And there's so much research behind how that can improve a child's life. And so I just am fully passionate about getting more youth outdoors. Um, there's a famous book called The Last Child in the Woods um, that I highly recommend anyone to read just about how as an American culture, we've created a fear around the outdoors. And it's even uh, more so for people of color who feel like they don't feel safe outdoors. And 4-H has an opportunity to provide that safe opportunity for all youth to participate in a transformative experience. I listened to the news last night and heard um, a report, a statistic that's post-COVID students, young people are spending 17 minutes less per day doing physical activity. And they are tying that directly back to COVID and e-learning and online learning. And as soon as I heard that, um, I thought, oh, well, come to 4-H camp because that's where we're going to pick it up. We're going to go out and hike. And my goodness, we're going to spend the day at the lake and we're zip lining and we're throwing tomahawks and we're trying to find, um, capture the flag. We lost the flag. So there's all kinds of opportunities if parents would just trust us with their kids. <laughs> I think from an educator standpoint, just if, if you haven't done a camp before, you know, it seems big and scary. I know when we started cookie camp, there were a lot of what about this or who's doing that? Just do it because odds are you're going to survive. You're going to make it through just fine. And the next one will be easier and so on. So if, if you haven't, you know, spearheaded or taken on doing a camp sort of thing, whether it's just a small overnight camp or a bigger camp, just just jump in and do it because that's the only way you're going to learn and, and figure out what you really want or need to do. I think that's excellent advice. Does anybody else have a last word of wisdom? Okay. Thank you. That was wonderful. Yes, thank you all. This was a great conversation. Thanks to our guests, NAE 4HYDP President Craig Preeser, Kim Fry, Tiana Garcia, Alan Taggart, and Travis Taylor. This has been a production of the NAE 4HYDP Western Region. The West is the best. Join us for our next episode. Thank you.